Welcome, everyone, to the Take Control of Your Health podcast. This is Dr. Mercola bringing you the latest cutting-edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. You can receive more information by subscribing to my free daily newsletter at Mercola.com. Thank you so much for listening. So let's get started with this week's latest program to help you and your family take control of your health. Welcome everyone, Dr. Mercola, helping you take control of your health. And today we're joined by Dr. Paul Connett, who many of you may be familiar with because he's been, he's been on this podcast many times previously for his work with the Fluoride Action Network, otherwise known as FAN. He is the founder of that network. And uh, I'm not sure exactly what his position is because <laughs> he had retired and he's back. I think he's back now. But we'll yeah, find I'm, out. I'm a... Uh, Sorry, as far as my position is concerned, I'm, I'm emphasizing now uh, science uh, really, my contribution is on the scientific front, communicating the science where if for interviews like this and some writing. Well, good, because I think your son, isn't it? Michael has taken over the, the administration. No, he, of the he did, um, he did for a while, but no, it did, the current director is Stuart Cooper. Our okay. former campaign manager, I think you've communicated with Stuart several times. He's now the director. Okay, great. Well, as the scientific advisor and uh, consultant for the organization of the one that you found, I think you're the, the perfect person to dialogue with the updates that's happened because, yes, folks, it's time again for annual update on the fluoride action. Uh, what's happened in the last year, and the reason we're doing this is we, we have identified I believe it's four primary groups that we support uh, with these types of campaigns because early on, over a decade now, I remember that that meeting very clearly. It was at the um, one of the not let us entertain you. I remember the restaurant, but I can't remember the name. I remember where the the settings of the restaurant and the room that we were in, and you were there. And I think it was 2011. And Ronnie Cummins, Barbara Fisher, myself, Charlie Brown. Uh, and we discussed doing something going forward with respect to just not educating people, but really facilitating the uh, removal of the barriers and the blocks to uh, what was impairing their health. And certainly fluoride, we perceived as one of the major, major uh, areas. So we've made some progress in the last 10 years. This is almost like a 10-year update, although we, we certainly didn't update last year. But why, why don't, I guess it would be interesting because it is, it's over 10 years now, and we can reflect back on what we've achieved in a decade of, of uh, this going forward, and then certainly get the update what's happened in the last year. So why don't we start there, unless you want to interject some other comments before we start? No, I, I think um, looking back would be very useful. I feel the current situation is a bit like that play waiting for Godot. Uh, for for many of us, the science was resolved in 2017. Mm -hmm. If you remember, in 2017, that was the first of the NIEHS, the National Institute of Environmental Health Science funded studies, US government agency funded studies, which confirmed many of these Chinese studies, which have been taking place over from the 1980s, late 1980s, which showed an association between exposure to fluoride and lowered IQ in children. And in 2017, as I say, we've got this first study, the Bashash study, 
the Element cohort in Mexico City. And it was a very, very striking study. It was a very, very good study. It had to be to get NIEHS funding. But it was based upon individual measurements of exposure and individual measurements of outcome. And the exposure was measured in pregnant women. Pregnant women, they measured the fluoride levels in their urine, which is a very good measure because it gives you a measure of total exposure of fluoride, whether it comes from toothpaste, water, food, or... Uh, but, but isn't that health. only the, the, the previous day or 24 hours? It's not a long-term exposure. It, they measured the fluoride in the urine uh, three times in each okay. trimester of the trimester, okay. each trimester, yeah. And they found a strong association between exposed, the, the pregnant woman's exposure to fluoride and lowered IQ in children. And they taken care of dozens of confounding variables. So all how many, the, how many points did they, did they observe in that reduction? It was four to five IQ points for one milligram increase, one milligram per liter increase in fluoride. In fact, the, the range for that four to five IQ points lowering was the same range that you get in for pregnant women in the United States in terms of fluoride levels. So that was the, if you like, the most striking thing. A was so how, what, what was the average fluoride level? So what was the total? That was you gave the, the rate as per milligram, but how, how many milligrams of increase were there in the average woman? Um, for the, the for the range of the part in it was about um, it was about one milligram per liter range, the full range for the women. And so the, the average, the average level in their urine was 0.9, no, 0.87 milligrams. Okay, so close to one milligram. So it's four to five yeah. point, point reduction. The reason point I point. say that is because there's evidence now from the pandemic and the social isolation that was done on the children that that you won't believe, I don't know if you've seen this data, but they reduced IQ by 20 points, 20 points. 20, IQ, in 20 full, IQ points. For what? For the social isolation was a result of the uh, uh, lockdowns and everything that were implemented for COVID-19 restrictions. Yeah, that's, 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 that's amazing. That's yeah, amazing. you combine that with fluoride, it's not good. You're looking at 25 points. I mean, you're going yeah. from genius to normal or from normal to essentially an imbecile. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. It it is it is crazy. Um, there's so many things which are crazy today. It's uh, it's difficult to relate to the world, but um, very very striking indeed. That and in fact, Chris Neurath, who I think you know, is our science director. He estimates now that more IQ points are being lost in America to our children than caused by any other factor, any other factor at all, including premature birth, including exposure to lead. So fluoride today is causing more loss of IQ points than, than lead. Uh, well, that may be true for environmental toxins, but it's, it's not true for <laughs> socially imposed and mandates, because as I just referenced, it was like five times the reduction just from the, from the social isolation that they, and the masking has, has reduced it. Because you need, you need to see visually 
the interactions with adults, especially in the formative years under five years old. And if you put a mask on everyone, including the kids, look out, it's a disaster. Yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. So that was, as I said, 2017, I thought it was over. When I saw this government funded study, all the variables controlled, high quality study, um, I thought it was over. I thought, mm -hmm. and it, the shock was, of course, this is exposure to the fetus. We had been focusing on exposure to children, and then we, we get this very early exposure to fluoride. The, the, there's no protection. It, it crosses the placental membrane, fluoride, and the, the brain barrier is not fully developed until about six months of life. So no protection. And so <laughs> you always think in terms of fluoridation be a case of putting fluoride into the drinking water, but what we really know, we should be thinking of, you're putting fluoride into the aminotic fluid of the fetus from day one. From day one, this tiny little pre-human being is exposed to, to fluoride. And then within a few years, we get another study from Canada this time, from Canada, which shows that the difference between bottle feeding in a fluoridated community in Canada and a non-fluoridated community. That's the only difference, two groups of children. One group of children was, uh, was when they were babies, was given fluoridated tap um, formula, bottle fed, no, sorry, formula made up with fluoridated water. The other group of babies with non-fluoridated water. And there was a nine IQ point difference for that. So, Again, waiting for Godot, the science is there, but what we're, we've been doing now for 70 odd years is trying to push the politics back, trying to get people that adopted fluoridation in 1950, that was when it was endorsed by the public health service, to admit that they were wrong, to admit it was a stupid thing to do. I mean, I think it was a stupid thing to do even without the science, but now with the science, it's so unconscionable and I think one of the shocks I've had, Joe, over the last few years, since 2017, there really are people out there that I did not think existed. And that is human beings who really believe a small benefit to teeth, if it exists, actually warrants this risk to the brain, that you would take that risk, that you would take that gamble. You would say reducing tooth decay is more important than protecting children's brains. There are people out there that believe that. And unfortunately, it includes the U.S. Surgeon General. It includes the most powerful people in public health in England, in Canada, in Australia, in New Zealand and the United States and Ireland, of course, which has mandatory fluoridation. They think that protecting children's teeth is more important than protecting their brains. And... Well, that type of false narrative and, and uh, lack of critical thinking skills certainly led the way for what we've seen the last two years with these COVID jabs, which clearly show, if you look at the data carefully and objectively, that for every person who is potentially saved from COVID as a result of the jab, for every one of those people, there's probably 100 people who are killed by the jab, yeah. 100 to 1. So they're willing to sacrifice one for 100. And it's even worse when you go down to the younger age groups. Yeah. So wow. it's just this 
distortion of ethics and, and conflict of interest and um, that have just permeated the entire medical culture. And, it, and it's, you know, this is one of the early com components. And it was, it was, it's the same thing for vaccinations, of course. You know, it was always there, but because it was impacted so few, the perception wasn't as obvious. And I think the, the influence on fluoride and that they've had, as you said, for the last 80 years now, uh, no, 70 years, I'm sorry. Um, you know, it's, it's becoming even more evidence with, with the even more outrageous uh, actions they've implemented in this the last two years. Yeah, you know, when people ask me, well, why, why do they fluoridate the water? Why did they do this? Why did they take these risks in order to reduce tooth decay? Why, why, why? And I've had to say, well, it, you're asking me to come up with a rational explanation for irrational behavior. It's just not rational. It's not rational. If you want to protect your teeth and you want to use fluoride to do it, you simply brush it on your teeth with a, with a toothbrush. Um, and that's universally available and it's cheap. And uh, that's so, still speculative, though, isn't it? I mean, there's, that's not, is that proven or what, what's the current status of the science on that? Does that actually decrease the risk of care? Well, the, 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 certainly the, the evidence for lowering tooth decay with topical, topical. is is far superior. I mean, there are 70 RCTs for mm -hmm. fluoridated toothpaste. There are an no RCT, an RCT is a randomized controlled trial. Yeah, example. there are no randomized controlled trials for swallowing fluoride. So the evidence that swallowing fluoride lowers tooth decay is very, very weak, but much stronger for, for topical applications, which, of course, is what most countries in, in the world do. Um, so there's really no rational explanation. There's no scientific explanation for this practice. And the only thing I could come up with, other than obviously, you know, there's, there's a lot of money that goes into dental research, millions upon millions, which ends up in or nearly all the major universities in the United States are benefiting from government money subsidizing dental research. And if you say that fluoridation is the best thing since sliced bread, this money keeps rolling in. Obviously, there's a, a lot of um, money going into the phosphate fertilizer industry where the fluoridated chemicals come from. Instead of treating this as hazardous waste, it's put in our drinking water. So that's another rational explanation, if you like, as to why it's happening. But the most likely, from my point of view, is bureaucratic inertia, that this is became public policy in 1950. And the people in charge of this policy were not prepared to admit that they were wrong for fear of losing their prestige, uh, their credibility, that if they admitted that fluoridation was a mistake, then the public wouldn't trust them on other public health practices. And when you look at those other public health practices, the one with the big money label on it, of course, is vaccination. So for some time I felt, um, and this is only a hypothesis, that really what we were looking at was the defense of vaccination by proxy, that it wasn't worth all that energy and money and angst for the American government to keep pushing fluoridation, except for the fact that they did not want to lose vaccination. And of well, course- that's, that's interesting, because when you first joined us 10 years ago, you were a bit reluctant because of our position on vaccinations. You were, I think you were more of a 
Provax person. Is that my yeah, correct I, in my memory? Yeah, that's that is true. The one thing, the one area that I was concerned about with vaccination and had no hesitation of talking about is the same one that Robert Kennedy Jr. talked about. Mm -hmm. And that was the use of thymosol, organic mercury, as a preservative in vaccines being given to children. And the preposterous situation where I think it was in um, the early 2000s when they worked out, or somebody at the CDC worked out that a child was getting a hundred times more organic mercury from vaccines, all the vaccines added up, than was considered safe to eat by the EPA. The EPA was concerned about organic mercury in fish. And so they had advisories on how much fish a pregnant woman would have to, should eat to protect her fetus from organic mercury. And at the same time, the, the, the center of disease control was quite happy to see uh, babies being injected with a huge amount of organic mercury. And I think it, it, it's absolutely absurd. I mean, unconscionable. And Robert Kennedy wrote an extremely important book on that. And our trajectories were the same. I mean, our concern about organic mercury in those days was environmental. Mine from incineration, one of the big sources of mercury going into lakes and ponds uh, and then forming methyl mercury in the sediments and then getting into fish and then getting into human beings. That was his same directory. I think he even had lawsuits as an environmental lawyer. Yeah, so, the, burning of, the burning of coal is what you're referring to for, for creation of energy, electricity. It was the primary culprit there. In some states, Florida being one, more mercury was going into the environment from trash burning than from coal burning. But overall in the country, more organic mercury or more mercury coming from coal burning than other sources. But in some states with a lot of incinerators like Florida, then um, it took over. It more mercury I think that may be related to the fact that we have nuclear power plants as opposed to uh, coal burning power plants in the state mostly. Oh, maybe you're saying that the, the, some states had not only less coal, um, less coal burning, but they also had, uh, it's because they had less nuclear Right. Yeah. But they had, but they also you had got to get it from somewhere. Trash yeah, so. The trash burning was considered a, a major source of, of organic mercury. Interesting. So I want to backtrack a little bit to one of your earlier statements uh, when you said that there were 70 studies supporting the use of topical fluoride for the reduction of tooth decay. Yeah. So uh, that could be implied as an endorsement for someone brushing their teeth with fluoride toothpaste. And I'm sure you're not recommending that because the issue is even though it may reduce the natural yeah. decay, almost everyone, almost everyone is going to swallow that toothpaste and get a toxic dose of fluoride. Yeah. So why don't you expand on that just to use endorsement? I haven't used fluoridated toothpaste since 1996. From the moment I started seeing the toxic effects, long-term toxic effects of fluoride. I mean, I, we focus now on the brain because we think that's the most important and certainly the most important for children. But for adults, I think it's what fluoride does to, to your bones and your thyroid gland and, and other things. But um, so when I started reading that literature in 1996, it, 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 it was the um, 
fluoride's impact on the bones, which was extremely striking. And I decided that I didn't want to have any more fluoride going into my body. Thank you very much. And stopped using fluoridated toothpaste. So that's over 30 years now of not using fluoridated toothpaste. No, no, not quite. It's 26 years, actually. 26. There we go. Because I, the reason I know is that we started our website in 97 and we're celebrating our 25th anniversary this year. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes. And of course, the trouble with the fluoridated toothpaste is um, for young children who have not developed a, um, a good swallow, don't have a good reflex about swallowing. So they, they, as soon as you start using toothpaste, if you're very young, you're going to swallow it. And that's not good, especially <laughs> the evidence now is even stronger. So the studies are certainly a big threat to the use of fluoridated toothpaste for children no, and, and for pregnant women. If you're going to tell, mm -hmm. now that we know that there's no protection, any fluoride that the pregnant woman takes in is going to go to her fetus, going to go to the fetus. So she should stop using fluoridated toothpaste when she's pregnant and possibly before, <coughs> and certainly not be drinking fluoridated water. But those warnings are not going out. And we begged the Center of Disease Control without saying, look, look, <coughs> we know it's going to take you time to stop this, your support of this policy, but at least warn pregnant women to avoid fluoridated water. And, and to tell bottle feed, parents who bottle feed their infants not to use fluoridated water. Won't do it. Won't do it. We, we, we wrote several letters to the head of the CDC, the, uh, and then her, um, Dr. Hacker, who's head of one of the divisions there. Um, we, we asked them to listen to experts. We got experts of some of these IQ studies. Philippe Grandjean, uh, Bruce Lamphere, Christine Till gave a 30-minute presentation to Dr. Andrew Hacker at the CDC. This is all private, you know, no one was watching except us for 30 minutes. And they had no questions, no questions whatsoever. And here we're talking about the notion that the, the substance that they encourage children all over the United States and parents all over the United States to give their kids and put in the drinking water, encourage communities all over the United States to put this stuff in the drinking water. And they listen to people telling them the high quality science funded by the NIEHS and no questions. And they continue to promote fluoridation as the best thing since sliced bread. In fact, they're planning right now to increase the number of people potentially getting fluoridated water by 19 million because they've developed a tablet system, like the tablets you put into urinals, big tablets like this of sodium fluoride. And these are injected with a sort of plastic tubes. It's a very cheap delivery system, which is suitable for small communities. So 19 million people have been living in rural areas who've been protected hitherto because it was too darn expensive to put in all the, the usual equipment, now have the wonderful benefits of these fluoride tablets. And this is going on, this promotion of this 
new delivery systems going on all the time, that the science is coming out, that this is lowering the IQ of children and increasing symptoms of ADHD. Yeah, and so a study, a study I from- to, I just wanted to mention that the uh, recommendation to, or the lack of a recommendation to not use fluoridated water in infant formulas is uh, fortunately somewhat attenuated now because of this massive shortage of infant formula that has been uh, engineered and rigged by the, the government to shut down one of the major suppliers of this. And, and I, I might have said 75% of the infant formula is not available now, forcing mothers into uh, choosing other alternatives, hopefully much healthier than infant formula reconstituted with fluoridated water. Yeah. Well, we hope so. Yeah. So uh, it's just, so, you know, you had filed a lawsuit, I think, when we talked last year against the EPA. Was it, was that, wasn't that the case? Yes, we, against the EPA. It started off as a petition in 2016. This is before these major studies came out. Mm -hmm. This was based upon the wealth of material, from, particularly from China, which mm -hmm. were finding these uh, the, the studies weren't as strong as the US-funded studies, and they were uh, in communities with high natural levels of fluoride in the main, not that high, very close to the concentrations we use in some in some instances. But um, based upon that evidence, we petitioned the EPA under TUSCA, under the Toxic Substances and Control Act, to stop the deliberate addition of fluoride to the drinking water. It's moot on, uh, on naturally occurring fluoride. We just said EPA has the uh, re requirement under TUSCA to ban a specific use of a chemical substance if it's shown to pose an unreasonable risk to the health of the American people, including vulnerable subsets. And here we have a policy, which we now know, at the levels at which we fluoridate, has a lowering of IQ. In fact, Dr. Philippe Grandjean did a risk assessment uh, using the um, the Canadian study and the Mexican city study, the Bashash and the Green studies, uh, and estimates that for alluring, the, the benchmark is one IQ point. So what level of fluoride in mother's urine, which is approximately the level in same levels in the water, if you're in a Florida community, what level of fluoride in mother's urine lowers IQ by one IQ point? of a child, of the offspring, 0.2 parts per million. And now the average in, in the United States is about 0.8 mm -hmm. in a Florida community. It's 0 0.8, 0 0.9. It's, it's lower. It used to be higher, right? They just lowered it a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. 0 0.7 is, is the recommended level to put in the water. I'm talking about the level in mother's urine, which is approximately the same level. But... Mm -hmm. Um, in Canada, they measured it as 0.91. So if it's 0.2, lowers it by one IQ point, this, this relationship is linear. So 0.8 would lower the IQ by four IQ points. Mm -hmm. 0.9 would be 4.5 IQ points. Sure, sure. So uh, we took a tangent there. I'm wondering if you could update us on the results of the lawsuit. 
Well, because it's been a, a year since we got the last update. Yeah, it's it, this is the waiting for Goddard, the waiting for Goddard, because the judge, we had our the, the lawsuit occurred over two weeks during COVID, June 2020. We had the, the leading experts in the world testify on our behalf, and the EPA, believe it or not, used experts from Exponent, a consulting company called Exponent that does the dirty work for Dow, DuPont, and all the other dreadful chemical companies, does all their dirty work. They've defended dioxins, PCBs, um, Monsanto's, what's it? What's that stuff? The, the Roundup, glyphosate? Yeah, Roundup. Yeah. They defended all those. So they've, they've tried to show in court that none of those things are harmful. Um, it's all in our imagination. And they tried to do the same with, with fluoride, but the judge at the end was clearly impressed with the evidence and said he didn't make his ruling in June of 2020. He did interrupt the lawyer from the EP who was giving her testimony when she was trying to admit that trying to argue that we didn't even meet the first criterion, which is to show that fluoride is a hazard. Right. You have to show it's a hazard. Then you have to show it's a hazard at the current exposure levels. Then you have to show it's an unreasonable risk. So hazard, risk and unreasonable risk. Those were the three hurdles that we had to cross. And the EPA was trying to argue that we haven't even shown that fluoride was a, um, a hazard, that at any level it would lower the IQ. And he interrupted, surely. No, no, no. He said, surely. No, I think we can clearly... Uh, I, I can't remember exact words, but it, the, the gist of what he said was it's clear that it's a hazard. And the other striking thing in the trial is that these consultants, these environment industry friendly consultants, Exponent Inc., admitted that the studies that we were citing and the experts from who we were using were the best studies, the best studies conducted to date. And, and so he, he said, I want to see two things. I well, actually said, I want to see three things. I want to see this BMD analysis published. That was by Philippe Grandjean. It's since been published. The result I mentioned, 0.2 parts per million loss of one IQ point. Um, I want to see the NTP final report, the National Toxicology Program final report. And I want to see if there's any other studies which have taken place which contradict what we've heard. Well, he's got the the bench, the BMD analysis from Grand Chain, but we are still waiting, waiting for Godot, for the National Toxicology Program to finalize. And this is, if you like, this is the final act of politics versus science in the whole fluoridation fiasco. For 70 years, they really haven't had decent science demonstrating benefits and certainly not decent science showing it was safe. They've avoided this, the studies showing harm. Finally, we've got those studies. This is the final act, but clearly something is delaying that NTP report. And we think it's the, the, the dark forces behind fluoridation, the dental lobby and the, the other people with perhaps economic interests who cannot bear to see this practice go. For them, protecting this policy is more important than protecting the health of our people. 
And, and that's a scary thing. And I think we've seen it in other areas of public health. Policy is king. And when policy is king, science is a slave. And that's what seeing superb science, the best science that we've ever seen, that I've ever seen in 26 years, better science than there is saying it protects teeth and better science even than when they were banning lead from gasoline and paint. The evidence that fluoride, uh, that lead was neurotoxic is not as strong as the evidence that we have today that fluoride, drinking fluoridated water, lowest IQ, impacts the brain. Um, but despite that, the politics uh, is clinging on, clinging on. And yeah. again, it's well, still uncertain what is driving I, that politics. I, I'm not sure if it's fair to describe it as politics. It may, I think more accurate might be a captured federal agency, which clearly the NTP is. And it's a common strategy that industry uses. Is to, and so many of these federal agencies are just completely uh, well, I, there I, the, I agree the with CDC, you. the EPA, and yep. now the NTP. And, and they're using this NTP. Federal agencies have been captured by the industry to put a roadblock in your lawsuit and prevent them. And is there any limit to the time that the NTP has to respond or is it just, they can respond in, in 50 years, like Pfizer tried to get away with. Well, the, the, the NTP does not have any obligation, any obligation to respond to the judge. The judge wants to see this. I mean, after all, they spent five years looking at the science. My own view is the scientists have done a damn good job with that NTP review. And the results in the end of science in the NTP review is very strong. But the pro-fluoridation people are putting pressure on them. It's a small agency. But it was a very sad, if they prevail, if, if politics does prevail here, and either this, this report is watered down to, to lose the science. I mean, the science is there. They can't take the science away. Um, but so far, they've been able to get the NTP to say, we're not going to draw any conclusions. Uh, even that will work for us in our lawsuit. If they have a report which fairly summarizes the science, gives a, an indication of the quality of each study that they're looking at, we can still give that to the judge and, I think, persuade him that we are right, that this practice poses an unreasonable risk to the developing brain of millions and millions of children in the United States. But um, how far, how strong are those pressures? I mean, you've got to remember, these pressures have kept this bloody practice going for over 70 years in the United States. And they've come through thick and thin. They've come through concerns about cancer, which were raised in the 1970s, Animal studies, which shows that fluoride increased the risk of osteosarcoma in rats, and in some human studies, bone studies. I, I wanted to stress, in 2021, we had an excellent study from Sweden, excellent study, very well-designed study, which showed that at one part per million, there is an increase in hip fractures in Sweden. Now, Sweden is not fluoridated, but they have ranges of natural fluoride, which goes from zero to one part per million in Sweden. And based upon that, they, are, they found an increased risk of hip fracture in postmenopausal women, which is what the majority of the studies were looking like um, when I reviewed them 
during the York Review back in 2000. This is because of the increased levels of fluoride. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I mean, fluoride accumulates in the bone. So uh, the, the first we've known since the 1950s that the first symptoms of skeletal fluorosis, that's literally poisoning of the bone by fluoride, are symptoms just like arthritis, pains in the joints, stiffness in, in the joints. Um, and so that we believe that fluoride, the first thing it does is attack the connective tissue in the developing bone, the collagen and, and stuff. Um, but as the fluoride continues to accumulate in the bone, it makes the bones harder, harder, but more brittle. And, and the concern, of course, is the, the, the bone in the hip, that joint, uh, you, the femoral head, that, that bone, you know, it's like a ball with a thin section and then the, the thigh bone. I don't know, the femur, is it? Whatever. It's the femur, that, it's the, great, the greater trochanter you're referring to. Yeah, that bone is very, very vulnerable. Yeah. And fluoride it's makes it more vulnerable. So this is all very rational. Um, so the NTP has been captured and they're preventing this lawsuit from going forward to stop the, or at least put a hold or reduce the amount of fluoride that's being introduced. But you know, it's, the evidence is pretty strong, but there's even stronger evidence oh, yeah. for a, great, a greater crime, which is administering the COVID jab to kids, certainly five to 11, but kids under five, which has virtually zero, zero risk of dying from COVID, zero risk. And yet they're introducing, forcing, mandating these vaccines in some cases, that's their goal on kids under five. They're sacrificing human lives for profit and, and with, with absolutely no scientific support and using the excuse of an emergency use authorization, which should, should have been stopped a year ago because there is no emergency, but that they're using that as a pretense to get away with murder. It's just, yeah. it, it's, it, we live in a crazy time. We I do. Mean, yes, this fluoride, you know, stopping, you know, putting a halt on this is, is clearly not good, but there's exponentially more science to, to stop them and prevent them from murdering children. And, yeah. and nothing is being done. Well, you know, when I read, I read Robert Kennedy's Jr.'s book on, on Fauci. Yeah. And the real Anthony Fauci or the truth about Anthony Fauci, something like that. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely fascinating. The thing that I found so striking was the discussion of AIDS mm -hmm. and the use, and I remembered back to those days when these treatment of when AIDS occurred and the, the treatments. And what was the- um, AZT. 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 Right. Now, at that time, I was a biochemist, as you probably know, that was my main field. And um, I was into DNA and, and, and all that, that stuff. And what I knew about AZT just, just blew my mind. I mean, the whole way that AZT was is based on it prevents DNA from replicating because it pretends to be one of the bases. And if it's incorporated into a growing any DNA chain, it stops right there. And this is the way they sequence DNA. 
uh, incredible. One guy got two Nobel Prizes in biochemistry. His name was Frederick Sanger. He got a Nobel Prize for sequence, the first person to sequence a protein. And he got a second Nobel Prize for developing this method of sequencing DNA. And he used this AZT, or four of them. And so by ending the DNA chain each time you, well, I won't go into the details, I'm sure no yeah, one. Yeah, the, the, the end result was Fauci manipulated everything. He got AZT recommended and approved, and he killed over 330,000 people because he convinced them that AZT was the best thing since sliced bread. Yeah, and, and I, 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 I remember- it wasn't the, HIV never caused the problem. It was less like a catalyst. It's like, it's saying like sunlight causes skin cancer. It doesn't. You have to have pre-exposing, pre-existing dispositions to get skin cancer, like a lot of linoleic acid. And if you don't have linoleic acid, you can have the sun exposure, you're not going to get skin cancer. So as the other things that they were doing, like, like increasing nitric oxide through these poppers that they were using when they're going to these gay, gay parties. Yeah. So that's what was killing them from AIDS. It, was, it wasn't HIV. I know, but I was fascinated by this controversy at the, at the time. But when I saw the use of this drug, I said, you don't do that. You, you don't give AZT to a kid and prevent the DNA from replicating you. It's, it's terrible. <clears throat> and so probably, and, and the, the thesis I think you're referring to now is the notion that more people died from AZT than were yeah. dying from AIDS. Absolutely. Just like there, more people are dying from the jab than dying from COVID. No, yeah. no question. It's, yeah. it's unequivocal, undisputable, indisputable facts. Yeah. Well, so I have, a, sad, a sad world we're living in. And, it, uh, you know, we've both been around for a long time, well before this COVID mess. But, mess, but you know, well, if anybody, if anybody told me that I would still, I would be alive and see a major power shelling civilian populations. Um, in today, in 2022, that we would still have people being allowed, kids allowed to get automatic guns and go into supermarkets and kill, you know, tw or schools, 20 people at a time. That we would have a government which would tolerate adding fluoride to the drinking water, even when they were given evidence and their own agencies were producing evidence that lowered IQ. I mean, what is there to hang on to? Where, I mean, the trouble is there's no shock value in it. People just- Yeah, well, it's not, it's not the guns, it's the psychopathology that's been induced from all this propaganda and brainwashing and the, and the depression and all the mental trauma that's been induced. So a vulnerable population. So it's, it's hard to blame the, the people or the kids who are doing these shootings because it, what, of what they've gone through. So it has not, almost nothing to do with the guns. Maybe the availability of someone under 21. But Why isn't this happening in other countries? Well, because we've got a very effective propaganda system in the United States. It's actually worldwide, but they, they've really been very clever. I mean, there are more, the, the number of deaths from mental disturbances has radically increased. So and this is due to the psychopathology due from the introduction of all the the lockdowns and the mask and the, and the mandate. So, um, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a big, big, big challenge. So no question. Well, I don't think it's an easy world to live in these days. And uh, No, but we do, 
we do have some hope. There, there are th those of us who have been around for a while and we know the truth. And fortunately, about 10% of the population has not been hypnotized into mass formation, uh, what that Desmet, uh, Matthias, Matthias Desmet refers to. So, uh, and we can be a light to others for the people who are still in a quasi hypnotized state to help, help them come out of this. So I think that that's the calling because it's pretty desperate times and, and it's obvious. I mean, they were bad before COVID as you are one of the pioneers in helping people understand what they were doing and trying to get away with, with the, with the uh, industry capturing these federal regulatory agencies uh, and the damage that they can do. But, you know, it's just gone blown up exponentially since then. Yeah. Well, that's, I'd like to return to that for a second because the, NIEHS has been an agency that I've really had some hope for. It is not a regulatory agency. It does the science for other regulatory agencies, including the NTP, the National Toxicology Program, which is part of NIEHS, does these studies for other federal agencies. And they're not to do, they haven't, they're not supposed to be dealing with policy. So that, but they've done very, very good science, and they did very, very good science on this fluoride issue. And it will be tragic, tragic now, if having done this science, they are pressured to dilute the whole darn thing. Um, for since from 2009 to 2019, the NIEHS was led by Dr. Linda Birnbaum who I got to know during dioxin days when I was fighting incinerators, I went to these international symposia on dioxin in different countries. And I met her several times and she led the um, EPA's review of dioxin and did a darn good job with that and had to withstand enormous industrial pressure. And in fact, I remember hearing her give a talk uh, on, on this review of dioxins uh, toxicology and, and, and they're saying in effect, it's worse than we thought. We were concerned with cancer, but now we see it's an endocrine disrupting chemical. It was the prototype of, of the endocrine disruptors. And uh, she articulated this in, in this front of one of these international symposia. And afterwards, uh, and, and afterwards she was grilled by the industry. The industry was asking her questions and she was responding brilliantly. You know, she says, well, according to this study, this study, this study, this study, what you're saying is wrong. Um, and afterwards I went up to her and I said, um, Linda, I am so glad you are who you are and, you, uh, and you're doing what you're doing. Um, intimating that I thought she had enormous courage. And she said, Look at my back. She, she literally took her hand and went to her back and said, look at my back, meaning... She pulled, she pulled out some arrows, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So when I knew that she was head of NIEHS, um, I had a hope, I was very hopeful that she would, um, she would look at this science. And in fact, the in-house journal uh, of the NIEHS is called Environmental Health Perspectives. I don't know if you know, it's a very good journal, one of the best in environmental health. And they published several important studies on fluoride before 2017, including the Harvard Review in 2012 by uh, Choi, 
and Philippe Grandjean was involved in that. And they reviewed 27 of the Chinese IQ studies. And so one of the things that she did, obviously did, was to approve the funding of US, uh, um, these US studies, the studies done in Mexico City and Canada by these top teams. And, and that's the very good news. You said, you know, there is some good news since we started 10 years ago um, or 20 years ago. The good news is that the top people in neurotoxicity are involved now in the research on fluoride. So whether we win now or in a few years from now, I don't think they can reverse this because the best brains in neurotoxicity know the story. And uh, more and more scientists are getting involved in research on fluoride in all the tissues, but particularly on, on the brain. And uh, studies are coming out every week. I think there were, there have been over 20 studies since 2017 on IQ. Right, so we, we, we've got a lot of new information, yeah. documentation that supports the toxicity of fluoride and, and uh, yeah. supports a basis for excluding it from human population. So I'm wondering if you can, you know, we opened up and perhaps giving a 10-year retrospective now as to yeah. what, what we've seen, not so much in the documentation and the studies, but what we've been able to do to help people limit their exposure to fluoride in the U.S. and across the world? Well, it's still, it's still paddling uphill if you don't get rid of fluoridation in your community. The biggest source of fluoride for most people is fluoridated water. And over 70% of the U.S. public, well, public drinking water supplies are drinking fluoridated water. So that's the top priority to stop this stupid practice. That will be helped greatly when we, when we win our lawsuit. When the NTP finally comes out and we win our lawsuit, I think that's going to happen. I still do. Um, that will give a boost. And I think we, what we will be able to do, the EPA will drag its heels for years and years and years as far as implement, implementation is concerned. But meanwhile, we should be able to stop it at the state level. There's still 12 states in the United States that are fluoridated and they can be stopped. They have um, mandatory fluoridation, Georgia, Illinois, Indiana, even California. Um, we should be able to get this stopped at the state level if we get a, a positive. So that, would, that, would, that would give jurisdiction back to the local municipality then and whether or not they want to continue with that. Yeah, we want it back to the local jurisdiction, but I don't want I'm too old to see to try to win this and all the thousands of communities. We want it stopped at the at, at the national level. That's what the lawsuit is about. But meanwhile, let's get it stopped at the state level mm -hmm. and get literally hundreds of communities in one one blow. We should be able to fight this out in state legislators, I okay. believe. All right. So I think you thank you for accurately summarizing the most significant exposure for everyone, which is their tap water, unfiltered yeah. tap water. So yeah. why don't from your perspective as a as a head of this foundation fan? <laughs> and about uh, a chemist, can you just summarize the most pragmatic way if you live in, if you're one of the 70% in the United States that is, has fluoridated municipal water, tap water, what's the best way to remove it from- Well, I, I, I tell you what we do. What we do is we get our water from a local spring, mm -hmm. a local spring. And you, you do have 
uh, companies that deliver spring water to your household, if you can afford it, that is the best way. If you have it done by a company that does that, they will tell you how it's tested and you will be secure knowing that you're not drinking fluoride. I think that's the single best investment. Get fluoridated um, spring water, non-fluoridated non yeah. spring water without fluoride. Use that for cooking, tea, coffee, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, then, and, and then I'm assuming request documentation on the lab objective independent laboratory testing to confirm that it was fluoride free. Exactly. And then the other thing you can do is obviously you use avoid fluoridated toothpaste. If um, uh, avoid mechanically deboned meat patties where they mince up the meat using machine because fluoride accumulates in animal bone, in bone. And mm. so that's where you're going to get the fluoride. Now, so how, that's, that's an interesting one that I'm not familiar with. So can you dive a little further and, yeah, and, when you and explain how you, would, how you would identify that in your producer? Yeah, when you mechanically debone, debone meat, you get little chips, little tiny particles of bone. Sure, That's sure. going to contain a lot of those particles, those little chips are going to contain a lot of fluoride. So if you're going to eat meat, eat meat whole whole food i mean whole you know whole steaks and whole chickens and whatever the whole thing not minced up so avoid the the beef burgers and the chicken burgers and, and the, the ground burgers. meat the ground the meat. ground meat avoid the ground meat um, so is, is it possible to ground meat without these mechanical deboners de well i'm not an expert i would think i would think if you're going to do it use the the most um the least vigorous machine that you can have i remember remember in the old days when my mum would take the the joint from sunday and put it in one of these things turn a handle and it would make mincemeat and mm -hmm. it's hard to believe that such a primitive mechanical device would put many bone chips into it as opposed to some monstrous machine with blades and things which cuts through um big chunks of meat or you know, carcasses, really. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's good advice. I've actually, uh, you know, because I happen to eat a lot of ground meat and I'm yeah. clueless as to how they actually, if they use these types of devices. So I'm going to have to do some phone calls. And the other thing is, of course, fish, um, tinned fish, pilchards, sardines, salmon. Um, the bones in those tinned fish uh, tend to be very soft. I remember sardines. I would, when I made a sardine sandwich when I was growing up, you'd spread it on toast. Um, you spread it out, and the bones would come with it. And you, mm -hmm. it, the bones are very soft, so you eat the bones. And similarly with pilchards. And but is there is there much fluoride in fish bones? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Really? Well, the fish. Well, uh, the sea sea fish. In the sea yeah. is one one point four parts per million. So the oh fish. Oh my gosh! It's the same as tap water. That's natural fluoride, or is that contaminations that? that well, it's, no, it's 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 natural fluoride. But for twenty odd years, I've been mean, trying to tell people the fluoride iron is the toxic thing. When we talk about the damage done in India and China, that's been not being done by hexafluorosilicic acid. It's not being done by chemicals from industry. It's being done from lovely chemicals from nature. So there's nothing safe about natural fluoride. The only thing about natural fluoride in, in the U U.S. context is it when you get it, you usually get a lot of other 
minerals as well, including magnesium and calcium, and they in turn to be protective against fluoride. So if you get one part per million of fluoride, but you get 100 parts per million of calcium or magnesium, that will help you to protect against that fluoride ion. Take so you mentioned this study earlier and done, I think in 2016 or 17, that was uh, really pivotal in providing the evidence and they, that was in pregnant women where they measured their urine three times in the pregnancy. So yeah. I'm wondering if you could recommend for most people out there, any commercial lab that they could, they could measure their urine to see just how much fluoride they've got in it. Oh, straightforward. It was cheap. It's cheap. Um, I think you could probably get it done for 20, 20 bucks. Mm -hmm. uh, measurement is not, would not be expensive for, um, but all I, if you wanted to do it for a court case, do make oh, sure. No, 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 just for the average person. Yeah. No, I, I yeah. don't have any connections at all to any commercial. Well, well, how, does one, how does one find the lab that would do that? I would go online and I'll just put in a lab that measures fluoride in water. Okay. I think, that... you, I think you'll come up with a local lab. Any lab that does monitoring of water. I mean, in rural areas, people are getting their water tested all the time for things like arsenic, lead, and, sure, and sure, so on. Sure. So those companies, those same companies would monitor for fluoride. Okay, good. That's good yeah. to know. So we've got a lot of good pearls here as to how <laughs> we can protect ourselves because, you know, many people are drinking bottled water, have a really good filtration because the filter, a really good filter is the other way to protect it. But most don't, especially for yeah. carbon. You need a really large carbon filter, almost the size of a typical water tank, that big, or and or reverse osmosis would also get the fluoride ion out. So unless you're doing one of those, and you're doing one of those, you know, you're thinking that you're limiting your exposure to fluoride, but you might be eating ground meat or uh, you know canned tuna, not tuna. <laughs> not hopefully not eating canned tuna, but can't because of the mercury, but uh, you know, canned sardines or mackerel and yeah. getting, getting some exposure in that way. So it'd yeah. be really good to have an objective test to show you exactly where you're at. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, as you say, you've got to protect your own health. You've got to look after your own body. Yeah, look yeah. so what, what, what is it, what, what, uh, what's on the agenda for this year coming up in the end of 22 and the next year in 2023? It's still waiting for God. Oh, and we, the expectation is when the NTP report comes out, we're expecting it in March and then April, then May, and now we're into June. So we're still hoping that this report will come out in June. When it does, we will go back to the court. The judge will have the... Um, will have the report in his hands. And then what we think is gonna happen, he want to hear experts from both sides analyze this report. He will read it, but he will want experts from both sides to convince him that the NTP is saying what we think it says, that the best studies, the best studies that show that fluoride lowers IQ, most of them had been done at levels now at either at 0.7 parts per million, where we fluoridate our water, or less than 1.5 parts per million. The, the NTP, guess we go back, the, the NTP has had two draft reviews. And in those draft reviews, we found, according to Chris Neurath, who's analyzed it, of 27 studies which they classify as high quality, meaning low risk of bias. If you go to their report, you'll see these tables and the diagrams, they're colored. 
they're colored from green to red. And this is a scale. The green studies are low risk of bias. The red are high risk of bias. But if you look at those studies, and of those, 27 of the high quality studies, of those, 25 found a lowering of IQ and two did not. So 25 out of 27. Of those 25, 11 were done at less than 0.7 parts per million or equal to 0.7. That's the level at which we fluoridate. I think it was four or five at less than 1.5. And the rest, I think it was nine, over 1.5. So the majority of the high quality studies, as far as the NTP is concerned, their systematic review are uh, found a lowering of IQ at less than 1.5 parts per million. And 1.5 parts per million is what the EPA considers to be relevant as far as any study uh, pertaining to water fluoridation. If you get an effect at 1.5, remember you've got to deal with things like margin of safety. Uh, uh, if, one, if IQ is lowered at 1.5, there is no margin of safety to protect children drinking 0.7 because some could drink twice as much water as other children. So they would be getting the equivalent of 1.5 in terms of dose. And then you've got the, the range of vulnerability of those children. So less than 1.5 parts per million fluoridation would have to end if it lowered IQ. That's if you lived in a world which was rational and in which science had a chance of actually functioning in the regulatory bodies. But as you as you've said, most of them are captured by industry. The CDC captured by the drug industry, the EPA captured by the pesticide industry, the chemical industry, the FDA uh, until recently, uh, the mercury people. Um, it's a oh, the drug industry, too. The drug oh, industry actually pays yeah. the FDA salary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it's, it's been captured for a long time now. All right. Well, I really appreciate all your insights and your feedback and give us an update. And uh, we look forward to supporting your work to help eliminate mercury from the municipal water supplies of so many. The fluoride, fluoride. No, oh, no. sorry, the mercury. <laughs> mercury too. Yeah, but don't give them any ideas, Joe. Don't give I them know, any ideas. Well, yeah, mercury working out with Charlie Brown for the dental component, so. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, you know, kind of gets mixed up sometimes. So, but we, Charlie's made some pretty darn good progress. And in many of the strategies are pretty similar. It's really, I think you've even got some insights from it to identify the toxin as an environmental pollutant where there's a lot more uh, leniency, but a predisposition to acting favorably because of the environmental concerns. Well, one okay. Thing well, one thing to keep your eyes open for is my wife has been busily researching the whole role of the National Institute of uh, Dental and Cranial Facial Research, NIDCR. If you may know that this agency came into existence as NIDR in 1948, and it came into existence on the back of the water fluoridation program and literally became the conduit 
for a huge amount of taxpayers' money to go into dental research, much of that siphoned into fluoridation. So fluoridation was the justification for the gravy train. My wife has been going into that gravy train, and I have a hunch that what we're looking at right now is the battle between two agencies, the NIEHS, that is concerned about fluoride's neurotoxicity in particular, and the NIDCR that does not want to see fluoridation go down the tubes. Um, and as you know, the sugar lobby has been very, very significant in corrupting, corrupting, and that's probably a better word than politics, by the way, corrupting um, the NIDCR's research, the sugar lobby. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. And uh, thank you for all that you're doing. And we look forward to seeing your eventual vindication and the uh, ultimately released report by the NTP, which will facilitate the, the judge to rule your favor with the EPA lawsuit. So thanks so much. Hopefully you're going to be a party next year. Yes, yeah. indeed. <laughs> when we win our lawsuit. Thank you, Joe.